Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter, part of the Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be starting a new book called Jesus Was Married. It was the first book that Ogden Kraut ever penned and started his writing career where he wrote over, I think, 78 books and pamphlets about the gospel to preserve doctrines that were disappearing from the church. I've read this book a couple of times, uh, probably more than a couple of times over the years, but I thought that it would be nice just to get back into something really informative, and this is one of my favorite books. So we'll start with the reader program. We'll be doing chapters one and two. Chapter one is only one page, which is page five. And then chapter two is pages six through ten. We'll start with the reader program and then I will read it with my commentary. I will also be posting the text on my Tumblr wall at tumblr.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And I will try to get this posted in my groups on Facebook as well as my Facebook wall. Uh, You can find the Facebook wall by searching facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. So without any further ado, let's get into chapter one and chapter two of Jesus Was Married. Introduction and Marriage and Celibacy Chapters 1 and 2 of Jesus Was Married Pages 5 to 10 by Olding Kraut First Printed Edition February 1969 Chapter 1 Introduction Did Jesus Ever Marry? This has been a disputable question sometimes arising against the popular opinions of today. Tradition has formulated an opinion, popular with modern Christians, that Jesus never married. Objectors to his marriage contend that he was not subject to the same laws, ordinances, or principles which are otherwise imposed upon the rest of mankind. Some oppose his marriage by purporting that marriage is sinful in its nature, that marriage involves a base, animalistic or sensuous practice, and that the union of the sexes is an evil regardless of the conditions. Thus the popular consensus prohibits Jesus from complying with the ancient law and practice of marriage. Christianity today teaches a celibate Christ. The reasons for believing in the marriage of Jesus, rather than in celibacy, are more logical, and to great degree more valid, through the light of prophecy, history, and revelation. However, Those who make reference to or boldly assert that Jesus was married will usually arouse a cry of blaspheme from the modern Christian. Despite the popular opinions and the pious modesty of our society, a careful investigation may prove interesting, if not advantageous, in the quest for an answer to this relevant question. Chapter 2 Marriage and Celibacy One of God's first laws and commandments to man was marriage. And from the Garden of Eden to the present time, God has continued to sanction and bless those who have honored this covenant. Marriage, solemnized by God in the beginning, 
was established with a divine acceptance for the purpose of propagation of the species, for mutual help, and for comfort and companionship. It was a union so sacred and spiritual in its nature that the man and woman were to become one flesh. This inseparable union is spirituality illustrated in a similar comparison with Christ to his church. And God has throughout history given many laws and commandments concerning marriage, not restraining marriage, but rather restricting anything that would break the bonds of marriage, viz. Fornication, adultery, whoredom, etc. Among these perils to marriage was a celibacy state of being unmarried which was never an acceptable practice in ancient Israel, nor in early Christianity, but rather a doctrine of the pagans until it became incorporated into an apostate Christianity. By its nature celibacy contributes little to the quality or character in man, much less in a woman, because fruitful propagation of the species is contributory. Barrenness in anything tends to extinction. Paul foresaw the apostasy of Christianity and warned the members of the church concerning these events. Celibacy, among other things was a doctrine of devils. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Interpolation of the scriptures became a fertile field for harvesting of alien philosophies and ideologies. This later became the doctrinal law of the apostate church. Under the influence of Greek Gnostic thinking and Roman traditional laws, the principles of Christianity suffered worse than through centuries of barbaric persecution. Superstition and useless ritualism replaced divine revelation. Then from among these amalgamated substitutions for the gospel, came our time-honored traditions of history which were so far from the original teachings that when some of the truthful remains of the scriptures were found, it caused a reformation. Celibacy had become such a dominant law of the prevailing church that it required hiding the scriptures from lay members. Indeed, in some cases the laws of God had to be modified or thrown aside to corroborate with the later doctrinal innovations. And if I had been instructed by an angel that such things would occur, and the angel of the Lord said unto me, Thou hast beheld that the book proceeded forth from the mouth of a Jew, and when it proceeded forth from the mouth of a Jew, it contained the plainness of the gospel of the Lord, of whom the twelve apostles bear record. And they bear record according to the truth which is in the Lamb of God. 8. Wherefore, these things go forth from the Jews in purity unto the Gentiles, according to the truth which is in God. And after they go forth by the hand of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the foundation of a great and abominable church, which is most abominable above all other churches, for behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and most precious, and also many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. And all this have they done that they might pervert the right ways of the Lord, that they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men.
therefore, thou seest that after the book hath gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. And after these plain and precious things were taken away, it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles. And after it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles, yea, even across the many waters which thou hast seen with the Gentiles, which have gone forth out of captivity, thou seest because of the many plain and precious things which have been taken out of the book, which were plain unto the understanding of the children of men, according to the plainness which is the Lamb of God, because of these things which are taken away out of the gospel of the Lamb, an exceeding great many do stumble, yea, insomuch that Satan hath great power over them. Nephi, from the age of twelve to thirty, a gap of eighteen years, the scriptural history or the life of Jesus is missing. That he grew in wisdom is an extremely insufficient record in the life of one so important as the Redeemer of the world. John the Beloved wrote about the words and deeds of Jesus sufficient to fill libraries. From this testimony we can be reasonably sure that much more was written in the life of Jesus than that contained in the few pages of the four Gospels. Even many other known books of the New Testament are missing. An earlier epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. Another epistle of Paul to the Ephesians. An epistle of Paul from Laodicea. A former epistle of Jude. Prophecies of Enoch. Because great portions of the story of Christianity have been lost, discarded, or altered, the true facts are difficult, if not impossible, to find. And to these hazy scraps of history, apostasy has added dogmas, rituals, and the traditions of men. The voice of Protestantism declared the error of this historical patchwork of human creations. Throughout the centuries of time these traditions evolved into church law, and that law, in turn, was advocated as historical fact. The real facts remain like a skeleton of the original structure of Christianity. So aloof from the real truth are these traditions that facts appear strange, if not erroneous when brought to light. The history of the marriage law of Christianity is not valid as it has come down through centuries of traditional customs, philosophies, and man-managing, especially through channels which have corrupted almost every other doctrine and ordinance of a sacred gospel. The laws of the marriage covenant have become as perverted as any other part of our religious history. Through the traditions and assumptions of men, Celibacy became not only an accepted doctrine of the church for men and women, but even for Christ. Fundamentally the question is not, what proof do we have that Jesus was married? But rather, where is there any proof that celibacy was a doctrinal law of God? Okay, that was the reading of chapters 1 and 2 of Jesus Was Married. You can read the full book for free online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. I'll be reading myself with the commentary, starting on page 5, because that's the page that 
the book starts on for some reason. So this was first printed in February of 1969. Chapter 1, Introduction. Did Jesus ever marry? This has been a disputable question sometimes arising against the popular opinions of today. Tradition has formulated an opinion, popular with modern Christians, that Jesus never married. Objector to his marriage contended that he was not subject to the same laws, ordinances, or principles which are otherwise imposed upon the rest of mankind. Some oppose his marriage by purporting that marriage is sinful in its nature, that marriage involves a base animalistic or sensuous practice and that the union of sexes is an evil regardless of the conditions. Thus the popular consensus prohibits Jesus from complying with the ancient law and practice of marriage. Christianity today teaches a celibate Christ. The reason for believing in marriage in the marriage of Jesus rather than in celibacy are more logical and to a great degree more valid through the light of prophecy, history, and revelation. However, those who make reference to or boldly assert that Jesus was married will usually arouse a cry of blasphemy from the modern Christian. Despite the popular opinions and pious modesty of our society, a careful investigation may prove interesting, if not advantageous, in the quest for an answer to this relevant question. Chapter 2, page 6. Marriage and Celibacy One of God's first laws and commandments to man was marriage. From the Garden of Eden to the present time, God has continued to sanction and bless those who have honored this covenant. Marriage, solemnized by God in the beginning, was established with a divine acceptance for the purpose of propagation of the species, for mutual help, and for comfort and companionship. It was a union so sacred and spiritual in its nature that the man and woman were to become one flesh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. This inseparable union is spiritually illustrated in similar comparison to Christ and to his church in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30. And God throughout history has throughout history given many laws and commandments concerning marriage, not restraining marriage, but rather restricting anything that would break the bonds of marriage, for instance, fornication, adultery, whoredom, etc. Among these perils to marriage was celibacy, the state of being unmarried, which was never an acceptable practice in ancient Israel nor in early Christianity, but rather a doctrine of the pagans until it became incorporated into apostate Christianity. By its nature, 
celibacy contributes little to the quality or character in man, much less in woman, because the fruitful propagation of the species is contributory. Barrenness in anything tends to extinction. Paul foresaw the apostasy of Christianity and warned the members of the church concerning these events. Celibacy, among other things, was a doctrine of devils. Page 7. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. End quote. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Interpolation of the scriptures became a fertile field for harvesting of alien philosophies and ideologies. This later became the doctrinal law of the apostate church. Under the influence of Greek Gnostic thinking and Roman traditional laws, the principles of Christianity suffered worse than though through the centuries of barbaric persecution. Superstition and useless rituals replaced divine revelation. Then from among these amalgamated substitutions for the gospel came our time-honored tradition, traditions of history, which were so far from the original teachings that when some of the truthful remains of the scriptures were found, it caused a reformation. Hold on. I am actually watching my son. So I work from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. I usually try to get home between 4 and 5 in the morning. Then I take my shower and then I go to bed. And my son lets me sleep until usually between 10 and 11. And then I get up and change him and feed him and we get to watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse or some other silly cartoon during the day while I get to spend time with him. And usually by around 2 p.m. I'm able to put him down for a nap and sleep for another two hours before I get up at 4 and I'm at work by 5. But today I'm going to try something new because I haven't been able to do the program lately not without being extremely tired. So instead of going to sleep at 2, I'm going to try to do these uh, recordings at 2 and then release them as soon as I get them done. Anyway, but so he's crawling all over my legs right now, and i am actually got my pillows up behind me, and I'm laying in bed, and he's watching his cartoon, and I am reading this book for you. So I hope you appreciate my contributions. I really do try. Uh, It's really hard when you have all of these responsibilities in life. And it's hard just to set a little bit of time aside to do any of this type of thing. But anyway, continuing with the reading. 
Celibacy had become such a dominant law of the prevailing church that it required hiding the scriptures from lay members. Indeed, in some cases, the laws of God had to be modified or thrown aside to corroborate with the later doctrinal innovations. And we see that in our day as well. Anyone who is a student of history who goes beyond the correlated church manuals and goes back to the original teachings and writings of the leaders of the church know that there have been many things that have been done away with because of the traditions and the cultures where we make excuses as to why we don't live God's laws or do as he has asked us to do in modern revelation. I'm talking about the doctrine and covenants in the Book of Mormon, as well as the former revelations. Continuing on, Nephi had been instructed by an angel that such things would occur, and the angel from the Lord said unto me, Thou hast beheld the book proceeded forth from the mouth of a Jew. And when it proceeded forth from the mouth of a Jew, it contained the plainness of the gospel of the Lord, of whom the twelve apostles bear record. And they bear record according to the truth which is in the Lamb of God. Page 8. Wherefore, these things go forth from the Jews in purity unto the Gentiles, according to the truth which is in God. Now let me just say, as Gentiles, we do not understand the Hebrew roots of the Book of Mormon or the scriptures, and we tend to interpret scripture by the light of our Gentile mind. And because of that, many false doctrines and errors have crept into not only the church, but the individuals within the church, and the whole world, really. We, as a people, in order to understand God's truth and unlock the veil that is covering Scripture, must learn that our traditions, our Gentile traditions and cultures, actually prohibited us from seeking and finding the true light of the Scriptures. Continuing on, and after they go forth by the hand of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the foundation of a great and abominable church, which is, which is the most abominable above all other churches. For behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and most precious. And also many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. And all this they have done, that they might pervert the right ways of the Lord, that they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore thou seest that after the book hath gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, that there are many plain and precious things, taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. And after these plain and precious things were taken away, it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles. And after it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles, yea, even across many waters, which thou hast seen with the Gentiles, which have gone forth out of captivity, 
thou seest, because of the many plain and precious things which have been taken out of the book, which were plain unto the understanding of the children of men, according to the plainness which is in the Lamb of God. Because of these things which are taken away out of the gospel of the Lamb, an exceeding great many do stumble, yea, insomuch that Satan hath great power over them. First Nephi chapter 13 verses 24 through 20, uh, 29. From the age of 12 to 30, a gap of 18 years, the scriptural history or the life of Jesus is missing. That he grew in wisdom is an extremely insufficient record for the life of one so important as the Redeemer of the world. John the Beloved wrote about the words and deeds of Jesus sufficient to fill libraries. John chapter 21, verse 25, and we're on page 9. From this testimony, we can be reasonably sure that much more was written in the life of Jesus than contained in the few pages of the four Gospels. Even many other known books of the New Testament are missing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, it speaks of an earlier epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, it speaks of another epistle or letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, speaks of an epistle of Paul to, the La- to Laodicea. Jude chapter 1 verse 3 speaks of a former letter of Paul to Jude. Judge, or Jude chapter 1 verse 14 speaks of the prophecies of Enoch. And actually, uh, I have a list somewhere. There's a lot more, a lot more books and letters throughout the Old and the New Testaments that are mentioned that we do not have today. Well, at least I don't have them. And I actually have more translations of scriptures than 99.9% of the membership of the church, let alone the world. Um, Because these records still exist. Anyway, continuing with the reading, because great portions of the story of Christianity have been lost discarded or altered, the true facts are difficult, if not impossible, to find. And to these hazy scraps of history, apostasy has added dogmas, rituals, and the traditions of men. The voice of Protestantism declared the error of this historical patchwork of human creations. Throughout the centuries of time, these traditions evolved into church law, And that law, in turn, was advocated as historical fact. The real facts remain like a skeleton of the original structure of Christianity. So aloof from the real truth are these traditions that the facts appear strange, if not erroneous, when brought to light. And I concur with that opinion because the the translations that I have they 
are from a Hebrew mindset and an ancient culture, which culture we don't understand as Gentiles. And that's partly the reason why I don't share them too much. Uh, Some of the stuff would be outright offensive to our modern mind. But when understood in the light of Hebrew traditions and cultures, they're perfectly acceptable. Continuing on, the history of the marriage law of Christianity is not valid as it as it has come down through centuries of traditional customs, philosophies, and men managing, especially through channels which have been corrupted almost every other doctrine and ordinance of the sacred gospel. Or I'm sorry. Um which have corrupted almost every doctrine and ordinance of the sacred gospel. The laws of the marriage covenant have become as perverted as any other part of our religious history. Through the traditions and the assumptions of men, celibacy became not only an accepted doctrine for the church, for men and women, but even for Christ. Fundamentally, the question is not, What proof do we have that Jesus was married? But rather, where is there any proof that celibacy was a doctrinal law of God? So that's the end of the reading for today. Uh, Next time I come on, I will try to get to chapter 3, which is a little bit of a longer chapter, and, uh, and then go on from there. But like this book is awesome. I love it. One of the things that I want to talk about just for a minute before I end the program is how important marriage is and how important the sealing ordinances are. When Peter received the keys to seal and bond, these sealings and bondings in earth and in heaven had to do with the family and with marriage covenants. Many years ago, when I was asking God where he was before the Big Bang, I had been asking this question for years and years, and I had tried to wrap my mind around it for many years. And one day while I was praying, God took me up in the spirit, and he stood next to me and took me into this uh, into space And we looked down and we saw this great glowing cloud in front of us. And we came down into the cloud and I saw that the dew drops of the cloud were actually orbs of light. And God told me, that these orbs were the intelligence And he said, look, and I looked. And I saw one of the intelligence and I saw a flash of light and one intelligence became two, two orbs of light. And the father said, this is the beginning of the spirit. And he explained to me that when the intelligence becomes self-aware, the masculine and the feminine energies separate 
and you had a male and a female spirit. I was also told that when the spirit begins, it ages. And that through the process of time, God the Eternal Father and the Elohim learned how to seal the masculine and the feminine together. And this is why marriage is so important spiritually. That when we're sealed together, husband and wife, it gives us the opportunity to receive eternal life where we are not, we don't die. Our body, our flesh might die, but our spirit goes on forever. I don't know if many of you can tell, but it's really hard for me to talk about these things because in my life, God has shown me many things And the veil has been taken from my mind. And I know what it's like to be in the presence of the Father and the Son in their fullness and in their glory. And it makes it hard to be in this world. You have no idea how cold and hard this world really is until you've been in the basking light of their glory and their love, which is indescribable. I know that they love us. It is an indescribable experience that I've had with them every time I've been taken up in the spirit or when I saw them in the flesh in 2003. And I just want you to know that they love every single one of us and that Jesus Christ paid for our sins in the garden of Gethsemane and sealed it upon the cross and that he lives. And I know that because I've seen him face to face and I've embraced my older brother and I've sat down and I've talked with him Through that and many other experiences, I know that God lives, and I love him, and I'm thankful for the knowledge that he has given me, that I can be his witness in these last days. Thank you for listening to the program. Take care, everyone. God bless, and I hope you have a wonderful day as you ponder these things and other scriptures. Don't forget to pray to him. When we turn ourselves to the light and turn ourselves away from the temporal things of this world, he begins to show us so many things. And the mysteries of God can be revealed to anyone who seeks to follow the path that leads to eternal life. And I say these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. 
Amen.